as we get ready to go in to the message, I, I do think it's probably important that I let you know that with the songs that we've looked at today, I could preach a sermon on four different songs. All of them very meaningful and powerful. I won't do that to you. But I could. But I do want to bring attention to one of the songs we sang. Brethren, we have met to worship. Uh, There are some lines in that that confuse some people every once in a while. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the Word? I know it should seem that, well, we can get up and preach the Word at any moment in time. In fact, we're told to be ready to give an account of what we believe and our hope all the time. But that one line recognizes a truth that is important. Folks, yes, I can get up and I can give you a TED Talk. I can get up and give you a lot of information. But it has to be something more than just my intellect. Uh, A long time ago, preachers used to pray for what they called the unction, the anointing of God. And So uh, when I stand before you each Sunday and I try to preach the Word, I'm recognizing that if the Spirit of God is not moving within me as well as you, it's kind of an empty endeavor. But then there's that chorus that just keeps coming on and on, praying that sweet manna will flow all around. Manna is the bread from heaven that God gave to the people of Israel during the Exodus, and it sustained them. They were not free to do with it whatever they wanted. They were to use it as God commanded. But as we share the word of God, it is our prayer that this manna, this bread from heaven, will come. And so let's go to the Lord very quickly. Most holy God, I did come to you. And you have been speaking to my heart this week in meaningful ways. And I thank you for that. And as I try to preach the word, it is my prayer that manna will flow today and our lives will be changed because of what happens as we hear your word through Christ. Amen. David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great man of God, an amazing preacher back last century. And in his book, The Sons of God, he said, we should all be concerned about our assurance of salvation because if we lack assurance, we lack joy. And if we lack joy, our life is probably of a poor quality. I suspect that a significant percentage of the people gathered in this building today as well as those of you who are listening, um, watching live, I'm pretty sure most of us at some point in time have had a lack of assurance, a fear that maybe we really didn't belong to God. And we've struggled with that. And I've known Christians who have struggled with that their entire Christian life as they try to figure out what God is wanting to do to them and in them. And so with that in mind, the fact that virtually everybody has struggle, we are gladly going to look at the song for today, Blessed Assurance.
one of the most amazing songs. Now, before we actually get to the song, I want to give you a bit of an introduction about the type of song it is. Kenneth Osmond has pointed out that this is what is commonly called a gospel song or a gospel hymn. It's a very important part of Christian hymnody. It had its beginning in the latter half of the 19th century and is associated with men like the the evangelist D.L. Moody, the man who sang with him, Ira Sankey. And of course, very much associated with Francis Jane Crosby, better known as Fanny Crosby. And Crosby, perhaps more than any other writer, imbued what this idea was, this, this, the spirit of the American gospel song. Gospel hymnody, uh, Robert Stevenson has reported, has the distinction of being America's most typical contribution to Christian song. Folks, this is from us. And gospel hymnody has been the plow, I love this line, that has been digging up hardened surfaces of pavemented minds. Some people say they're so simple, they're so easy, there's not a lot of depth. But it's the obviousness of it that has been its strength. Gospel music is the music of the people. Now, it's estimated that Fanny Crosby wrote, get ready, more than 8,000 gospel song texts within her lifetime. Her hymns have been and are still being discovered and, and, and they are still being sung more frequently than those of any other gospel writer. Her many favorites have been an important part of evangelical worship for over a century. In a biography of Fanny Crosby, Jacob Hall noted She lost her sight at the age of six weeks because of what we would now call malpractice. They treated her eyes wrong, and she went blind. Now, to be blind so young, it's not hard to imagine she would grow up a very bitter person, is it? I want to read for you her very first poem. And she let it, she said that this was the motto of her life. Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Now that's a pretty amazing poem. Written by an eight-year-old girl. She had a heart of love for her God and an assurance that he would be with her. It's it's really amazing when you think about someone, anyone, much less a blind person in a society that did not have all of the helps that can be made today, that you could write on such a variety of spiritual truths, such a variety, and with such an outpack. At one point in time, she was contracted under one particular music publisher to write three hymns every week. Not hard to see how she got 8,000. Uh, she, she used over 200 pen names, 
as well as her own, Fanny Crosby, and many of her original texts are still being uncovered and very likely will be put to music at some point in time. Now, often the themes for her songs came when ministers who knew of her would come by and they had a particular topic they were going to be preaching on. So they asked her, could you write a song for us? But there were other times musicians just came, composers would come and play for her a song and ask her, what do you think this is about? What should I make it? That was the case of this song, Blessed Assurance. She was visited by Mrs. Joseph Knapp, who was an amateur musician, wife of the founder of the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, a very close friend of Fanny Crosby. She sat down and played a song and then looked at her friend and says, what does that say? And Fanny Crosby immediately responded, why, that says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Fanny Crosby died at the age of 95. She once said she thought she would live to 113. And Osba wrote, Only eternity will disclose a host of individuals who have been one to a saving faith in Jesus Christ or those lives have been spiritually enriched through the text of her many hymns. Inscribed on her tombstone, at Bridgeport, Connecticut, are the significant words that Jesus spoke of a woman who poured a vial of ointment on his feet. She hath done what she could. To show you the power of this song, Ira Sankey, a good friend of Henny Crosby's, once related the story about the comfort that this song brings in such unexpected places. Uh, in 1900, in Exeter Hall in London, he was talking with a man who had been on the front. The Transvaal War had been raging. And he said, he told Sankey, when the soldiers going to the front were passing another company whom they recognized, their greetings used to be, 494, boys, 494. And the people coming to go to the front when they would see them would invariably answer, six further on, boys, six further on. Now, if you're a code breaker, I wish you well, because you're not going to get it. This came from a book of hymns. It's called Sacred Songs and Solos that were sent to the front. A, a small edition. Number 494 was God be with you till we meet again. Six further on, and for those of you who aren't mathematicians, 500. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And just reminding of the titles gave strength. Now there are very few texts in the scripture that measure, the mirror, the blessed assurance that Crosby is talking about better than Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. It's a word of great hope and life. I'm going to ask you to stand. This is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture in an amazing Word of God. So let us hear the Word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. God bless the reading of his word. In our text, the writer of Hebrews encouraged his readers to a life of hope and community made possible through the work of Christ. And folks, that hope is ours as well. Nearly 2,000 years later, the hope is still alive and true. Even in a world of turmoil and fear with chaos, where it just seems things are getting crazier with every day, the hope that sustained Fanny Crosby in her blindness The hope that it sustained countless numbers of Christians for 2,000 years is the hope that can carry us through any trial that life brings. In times of certainty, uncertainty, whether good or bad, God brings us assurance that we'll see us through. Now how? How does that assurance flow into our lives? How do we move from fear and doubt to assurance and strength Well, this passage alone shows us three ways that God brings assurance into our lives. And there are other ways as well. Let's focus on these today. And the very first thing God does for the very first way, God offers us assurance by providing a means to approach him with confidence. I know that there are people who are sometimes reluctant to pray to God. Sometimes we feel we've, we've asked too much. Sometimes we feel like we haven't even obeyed when he did answer. And we begin to wonder, is he getting tired of me? Because folks, we all have people in our lives, whether we want to admit it or not, I have freely admitted this, and this is not saying to anybody in in this room, okay? But there have been people in my life, if I see them first at Walmart, they don't see me. I'll be honest. There there, there are people, I'm just so glad that Jesus didn't say like your neighbor, because that's purely emotion. But we all have people in our lives, it's like, oh no, not again. And sometimes that translates to God. Has he had enough? Well, the writer of our text lets us understand the Christian's confidence to approach God was not a matter of personal piety or pride. It's not a matter of, I'm doing really good, Lord, so I know you're going to hear me. Far from that. And the word that is translated confidence or assurance here, uh, literally means outspokenness, openness. And it conveys an idea of an openness and a confidence that is extremely bold. Without any kind of hesitation, we have confidence that we can come to God. 
a vivid sense of freedom, that I can go into the very throne room of God and He will not kick me out. The readers could come to God not on the basis of their works or goodness. He's reminding they can know their ability to come to God rests completely through the work of Jesus Christ alone. And so this open access, come to God at any moment, any time, is available to those who through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ are now children of the living God. Folks, the reality is we can find comfort in knowing our access to God is in Jesus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mirror something I've said throughout Galatians. The beauty of our hope rests in the knowledge we don't have to earn our way into the presence. We don't have to say the right kind of prayers. We don't have to have the right posture. We don't have to find biblical principles that say, here, I've got a promise. God has to hear me. If we had to earn our way, we could never know God. If we had to earn our way, we could never come to God with a confident prayer knowing that he's hearing us. And this is reflected in the book of Hebrews itself. The writer has repeated a thought that he gave in the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 16. Listen to what he had to say. Again, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Douglas Moo has beautifully pointed out All that human beings can know about God is found in Jesus Christ. And so Christians, if you know Christ, if you have professed faith, if you've received him into your life as Lord and Savior, just by being a Christian, you have access to all that God wants to give you. Whether you behave or not, whether you mess up or not, And if I ask for shows of hands of everybody who messed up, if every single hand did not go up, the altar will be used for repentance later. Because we all mess up. And God continues to love and continues to say, come. So what this means, as simply as I know how to say it, we need not fear coming to God. I don't have to be afraid that He's put up with me. I don't have to be afraid that somehow... I've worn out my welcome. I I don't have to worry that when I show up in prayer, God goes to the far side of the universe because he doesn't want to hear me again. And the writer of Hebrews used a beautiful image. If you've not read the book of Hebrews in a while or ever, read it very carefully. He loves using Old Testament imagery to point to the truth and fulfillment in Christ. And he said, we have this confidence to go into the Holy of Holies because we can go through the curtain. 
the body of Christ. If you know the story of the crucifixion, you know that the Word of God says when Jesus died, the veil, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, only the high priest could go into that inner sanctum once a year on the Day of Atonement. But on the day Jesus cried out, it is finished. The curtain was torn in two. And the writer of Hebrews understood this to mean any child of God has full and free access to God. Every single Christian, each one of us can come boldly to God and God welcomes us. Not reluctantly, He welcomes us. Come to us. Why? That beautiful little line in Crosby's song It's because we have been born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. God says, come. Don't hesitate. Come to me. And then, another way God brings assurance. God offers us assurance by reminding us of His faithfulness. He's not saying assurance belongs to only those people who do it right. His faithfulness is the key. You see, our text shows that because God was faithful, Christian hope was not empty. This isn't a pipe dream. This isn't making a wish and blowing out a candle on a birthday cake. This isn't trying to figure out the right numbers to win that lotto. It's not all what I would. This is an assurance. God's promises were irrevocable. He would stand true on his covenant commitments. And this is a theme that goes throughout the word of God. He was true to Israel when he landed them out of the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan, even though they griped every step of the way, he brought them to the Holy Land. He was true to David as he moved him from shepherd boy to the greatest king Israel had known. And even when David faltered and failed miserably, God was faithful to forgive him as David cried out, the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. He was true to his promise and brought the Messiah into the world to be a ransom for many that eternal life could be known and experienced. And the reader of Hebrews could have full assurance of faith because God was faithful. The reality, we can believe because he has proven himself true. We can know that this mercy and love are never ending. It was mercy and love that led Jesus Christ to the cross. And if God was ever going to stop showing love and mercy, he would not have let his son die that horrible death. We can look above for God's hand in our lives and know that he will not fail, even though he may not, as Cheryl shared very openly and honestly, he may not answer our prayers the way we want him to. We may not understand everything that he's doing, but we know that God is at work. Because in his word, he promises. 
That God is working all things together for our good. Those who are called according to His purpose. Those who love God. He's using whatever happens to mold us into the image of Christ. We can know that a glorious future awaits for us. Because God promised it. There's another great woman of faith. In the 20th century. That inspired and challenged a lot of people. Corey Ten Boom. If you've never read The Hiding Place, again, go grab a copy and read it. Or find the movie and watch it. A woman who lost her entire family during the Holocaust. A woman who has suffered greatly in a Nazi prison camp. Still found hope and faith. And she said, in God's faithfulness, life lies eternal security. I know I will be okay because God will keep his promise. And Crosby wrote, perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. His faithfulness is true. We can rest in assurance because God keeps his word. I've quoted this verse many times. I'm going to actually give you the reference today. It's a wonderful, beautiful, amazing verse about God, but it doesn't speak very well of us as human beings. But focus on the God part. Numbers 23:19. God is not a man that he should lie. So you know what that says about us, but God is not like us. He remains true to his word. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul put it this way. He wrote to his people, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Every promise is yes in Jesus. And we can say amen, so be it, because that's what that means, because of what God has done. And then, there's one final way in our text that God brings assurance. God offers us assurance by reminding us that we have encouragement available to each one of us. Now, as you look at that, the longest sentence I've given you, and you're trying to figure out, okay, what does all this mean? I could say all it means is the two things we've said before. But there's a twist here. Kind of unexpected. And everything that the writer of Hebrews is saying, for one moment, it seems that he takes our eyes off of God. He's not. But it feels that way. When he reveals, God offers assurance through the gift of each other. And I'm going to give you permission to do this. Every once in a while, I'll give you congregational permission. And Pastor Luciana, with your people as well. I want you to turn and look at the people in this building today. Take a look at them. 
I'm not asking you to take a look and see who's more fabulously dressed, whose hair is perfect. When you take a look at them, I want you to understand, as brothers and sisters in Christ, these people are God's gifts to us. God's gifts to us. And unfortunately, in a lot of church fights, people try to give the gift back. But the reality that we're looking at here, Christians were meant, Christians were literally meant to encourage each other. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will be you will fulfill the law of Christ. Christians were meant to, and and we've got a slide missing, so let me fill that in for you. Christians were meant to encourage each other. That's why there is a body of Christ. That's why God was not content to get you saved and send you off by yourself. He brings us together for the purpose of encouragement and strength. And when Paul wrote this, and we looked at this in depth a few months ago, he was giving our duty to one another. Carry each other's burdens. Help each other. And the simple truth, even the strongest of believers need help. So the writer of Hebrews here tells the Christians, you are supposed to spur each other on to love and good deeds. The Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, known as BDAG, uh, points out the force of this, rousing to activity, stirring up, and even provoking. And if you have the King James, you will know that the King James says, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Good works. Now, the word provoke today carries a much more negative idea than it did in the right, during the writing of King James. But it just means, basically, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, as much as humanly possible, make certain that each one of you remain true to God's call. But how do you do that? Can you crack a whip? Can I snap my fingers? No, they were to bind themselves together in fellowship. This is not a 20th or 21st century phenomenon. Did you notice? Do not, in King James, forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some. Already in the first century, Christians were sloughing off on the idea of being with each other. I don't need them. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me something to the effect, I don't need to go to church, I can worship God on my bass boat. I can worship God on the golf course. I can worship God on my tree stand. And if I really know these people, and sometimes... When I don't know them all that well, my response is, you can, but you're not. We need each other to encourage, binding each other. Each Christian had a responsibility to each. 
And in an active, caring, encouraging fellowship, they're going to find strength. Because the reality is so true. Sometimes we simply are not strong enough to carry on in our own strength. The strongest of believers struggle. John the Baptist, who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who's taking away the sins of the earth, who heard the voice as Jesus is baptized, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, who jumped for joy in his mother's womb when Mary and the virgin child within her came upon him. This same man sitting in jail sends a note to Jesus. Are you the one or not? Because he was suffering in a way he didn't expect. And Jesus didn't do what he thought he would do. And Jesus said, go tell him the signs that are happening. You see, life throws us some nasty curveballs. And if you'll let me go into a sporting analogy, and if you won't, I'm sorry. But life throws some curveballs and we swing wildly trying to connect. When I played Little League, I never hit a single curveball in my life. In fact, if the guy was really good, I struck out each time. And here's the key. When we strike out, when we fail, when we lose hope, when our faith seems to be going up in smoke and we're not sure anything's going to happen, we find strength in knowing we have a team. We have a family who pray for us, who love us, who embrace us, who will encourage us. They'll help us to do our very best in spite of the errors. They'll help us to get back on track. And it's in those moments of weakness when we haven't been able to to deliver that we find hope in the love that our brothers and sisters in Christ offer to us. Such assurance. I know God brings himself into our midst. And I'm about to say something, and I hope you will not accuse me of heresy. But building off of something John said, John in his epistle said, you cannot love God whom you do not see if you don't love your brother who you can see. And focusing in on that, the God you cannot see, sometimes the truth is, We can't see what God's doing. John of the cross called it the dark night of the soul. When it feels like God is on the far side of the universe. And for whatever reason, our faith is lacking and we're not able to hear and we're not able to see. And at that moment in time, we have people in our lives who can comfort us. Not like Job's comforters. And if your idea of comforting somebody in their pain is to go and give them a tongue lashing for everything they've done wrong... Please, let someone else comfort them. They don't need that. They need someone who says, I love you and I'll pray for you. And if they do need correction, then that can come. But we have people who come to us. The New Testament has no support for the idea of a lone Christian just being out on their own. 
Paul went to Arabia for three years to, to hear from Jesus, but he didn't stay there, did he? He came back and touched the world for Christ. None of us have to be on our own. And we may choose to be. We may choose to carry all of the weight upon ourselves. But we don't have to. Because Christ has provided a source of strength unmatched by anything this world has to offer. A community of faith. Folks, and that transcends culture and identity and and where you live and how you live. We have our, our sister church, Grace Baptist, in the Philippines. Pastor Luciano has been sharing a whole lot of news with me lately. And over the last few weeks, so I think it's right now somewhere over 30 people have come to faith in Christ in their Bible studies. God is bringing a revival into their area. That's exciting to hear about. And we have a connection. He, he and I and have actually done some Bible studies for his church via this wonderful thing called the internet. But folks, I can tell you, in Ukraine, when I worshipped with some Ukrainians, and in China, when I worshipped with some Chinese, I now, in the Ukraine, I knew what was being said during the preaching, because I did the preaching. But when I was in China, I'm just listening, and I'm, I'm singing songs. You know what? They sing some of the same songs we do. Not the same words, well, the same meanings. But there were connections and they were real and they were powerful. We have assurance because God has given us to each other. Now, this becomes meaningful when we always seek to remember to be committed to the fellowship of Christ's body. We need to quit thinking about church as something you do on Sunday mornings coming into a room, singing and hearing preaching. That's part of worship. I believe it's absolutely necessary for us. We draw strength in this place from one another. We hear from God. But being church, you take with you wherever you go. You're a child of Christ. And you will discover, as you'll be attentive, some of those interruptions that happen in your life become very key moments of ministry, of touching somebody, of encouraging somebody that you never expected to happen. And God can use us. For just a moment, think about the chorus of today's song. Talk about an encouraging chorus. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Think about this. Fanny Crosby wrote from a heart a commitment to sing her story of Jesus to all who would hear. And now, for over a hundred years, her story is still being sung. And it's still encouraging people. Fanny Crosby fulfilled the call of God in Hebrews. She spurs us on 
Every time we sing one of the songs that God gave her, and every time we sing these songs, they become encouragement for our brothers and sisters. You can make such a difference. We can make such a difference in this world by remembering who God is in our lives and and drawing on the assurance that he said, come to me at any moment. It doesn't have to be big. Anything on your heart, bring to me. And know this, I am true, and I will keep my word, and I will be with you. And we can make such a difference when we remember we're part of something amazing. And there are people out there in the world who are hungry for what we've got. They don't understand that. To quote an old country western song, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. They're not looking to God. And they're certainly not looking to God's people, but when we start acting like God's people, start loving and caring and praying and encouraging, God can do a wonderful thing. This morning, I'm going to ask you to bow before God. The God who invites us into his presence. And if you are at a place of encouragement, discouragement, ask him today, Lord, open myself to the truth of your undying love. If you're facing a time of fear and uncertainty, ask him to help you always remember that he keeps his promises to his children. Ask him. This may be the toughest thing of all. Ask him to help you trust your brokenness into the hands of sisters and brothers who will love and support you. Right here, right now. Ask God to grant you the blessed assurance that is your birthright because Jesus Christ has made you his own.